time keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Good morning and welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Slaying Dragons. That's what we're going to be doing today. Slaying Dragons. It's a book by Charles Fraun. Slaying Dragons, What Exorcists See and What We Should Know. It's going to be a great conversation diving into uh, spiritual combat with Charles Fraun today on our guest segment. I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully you can join us for all or part of today's program. We're also going to have breaking news and stories. We're going to have Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day. We're back in John's Gospel. And uh, we have a What's Concerning Us segment today. Praise be to God. And the team is here. Good morning to you, Emily Alcaraz. Good morning, Joe. Happy Friday. Praise be to God. We have survived the week. It was Th- a great thus week. Thus far, I should say. Yeah, Sherathon week. It was a fun week. So yeah, today, this week, is the schedule was thrown off for us. Our second hour has been pushed back to the 9 a.m., 10 Eastern, Central, whatever time. Uh, but next week, we go back to normal. I wonder if we're going to be ready for that. I think so. The game show comes back next week. Will we remember to give out the correct number? Can we get back into the swing of things? We'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> Ooh, I better get a nap in between now and then. Hopefully, it'll go well. <laughs> um, speaking of naps, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. You know, that was probably the best uh, introduction for me, uh, napping. <laughs> I think that's 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 the way to go. Uh, we'll see if I do any of that this weekend. My sister's birthday is this weekend, so. Hey, happy birthday. Maybe oh, traveling sister. to San Antonio. Uh, no, Bethany. Oh, yeah. Bethany, right. So, happy birthday, Bethany. Happy birthday, Bethany. Now, for those of you that are joining us on live video, uh, Adrian, can you step to the side? Put your camera back on and step to the side. Now, if you're on the radio station of the Cross or the Guadalupe Radio Network, good morning and God bless you. What we're seeing on camera right now is, what is this, like a four-foot-tall statue of St. Michael the Archangel, gloriously triumphant over the devil? and uh, piercing him with his his lance that with the the cross at the top i mean it's just this glorious statue uh provided by friend of the show jesus robles who had this uh he commissioned this piece. It was handcrafted out of wood by an artist uh, in Mexico, and it is stunning. And he's putting it on the display here at the Catholic Drive Time Studio. So praise be to God uh, in the Guadalupe Radio Network. Praise be to God that we're going to be able to display this. Uh, we'll, uh, we're also getting another item hopefully soon, and it's a crucified Jesus that's going to be absolutely amazing, crafted by the same artist. So thank you, Jose Rob- or Jesus Robles. Rather, thank you very much for your generosity and lending this beautiful statue to us. All right, we are going to jump into our program. So as I said, Charles Fraun wrote a book called Slaying Dragons, What Exorcists See and What We Should Know. Uh, you know, so we're going to be doing some of the slaying dragon stuff today in the spiritual combat. And I think this is especially important as we start to wrap up the holy season of Lent and prepare for Holy Week and, and Good Friday and um, Easter Sunday. It's an important opportunity for us to remind ourselves of the spiritual combat that we should be engaged in daily. So that conversation will be coming up. Uh, so a lot to get into in this hour. Hopefully, as I said, you'll be able to join us for all or part of that. Let us pray for your intentions. Whatever your needs are today, whatever you're facing, whatever your challenges are, dear listener, we are including those in our intentions. Asking Our Lady to intercede for us, the Queen of Heaven and Earth, to 
pray and to whisper your intentions along with ours into the ear of her divine Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. While some states have begun relaxing COVID-related restrictions, state health officials in Oregon have decided that now is the time to impose a permanent mask mandate until it is deemed no longer necessary. A mask mandate has already been in place in Oregon since November 16th, requiring all citizens to don a face covering when outside their home, even after being vaccinated against COVID-19. It's considered a Class C misdemeanor to violate this rule. Oregon's Occupational Safety and Health Administration has now revealed plans to make the statewide mask mandate a permanent rule in workplaces after the current regulations expire on May 4th, extending this rule until it is revised or repealed. COVID case numbers in Oregon are now approximately half of what they were in November. In other states, such as Texas and Mississippi, the governors both announced in early March that mask mandates, as well as many other lockdown restrictions, would be lifted and the economies fully reopened. New Zealand is poised to become the second country in the world to offer couples paid leave after having a miscarriage or a stillbirth. Under the bill which passed its third reading in New Zealand's unicameral parliament March 24th, provides that the unplanned end of a pregnancy by miscarriage or stillbirth constitutes grounds for bereavement leave for the mother and her partner or spouse, and that the duration of the bereavement leave should be up to three days. The bill is worded in such a way to apply to adoptive parents of a baby as well as to parents having a baby via a surrogate. The first country to introduce paid bereavement leave after miscarriage was India, where women are entitled to six weeks paid leave after a miscarriage. Ginny Anderson, a member of parliament of the New Zealand Labour Party, introduced the bill back in 2019, and the bill now only needs royal assent or the approval of the Governor-General to become law. And one of the newest Staten Island ferry boats in New York Harbor will be named for the Catholic journalist and social activist Dorothy Day. Only three Staten Island ferries have now been named for women. In response, Cardinal Timothy Dolan of New York said, How appropriate that a ferry transporting people would honor a believing apostle of peace, justice, and charity, who devoted her life to moving people from war to peace, from emptiness to fullness, from isolation to belonging. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio praised Day's life of tremendous selflessness and service. Dorothy Day was born in Brooklyn in 1897 and raised Episcopalian in Chicago. She displayed signs at a young age of possessing a deep religious sense, fasting and mortifying her body by sleeping on hardwood floors. Her life changed when she read Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, and she later converted to Catholicism and founded the Catholic Worker Movement in 1933. Her cause for canonization opened in 2000, and she has the title Servant of God. 180 Catholic worker communities continue her work in the U.S. and around the world. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Friday morning headlines through a Catholic lens.
Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Blessed Magdalena Caterina Morano, pray for us. She was born on the 15th of November, 1847 in Italy. Her father and older sister died when Magdalena was eight years old, and the girl had to work to help support her very large family. She managed to work and study in 1866. She graduated as an elementary school teacher. She wanted to enter religious life, though, but her family needed her, and she continued to work for 12 more years as a teacher. She taught catechism and parish and much more. In 1878, having helped raise her siblings and saved enough to ensure her mother's future, uh, Magdalena entered the Daughters of Mary Help of Christians, a congregation founded six years earlier by St. John Bosco. In 1881, she was sent to the Diocese of Catania in Sicily and took charge of an existing institute for women, inspiring it with Salesian principles. Sicily became a second home to her, and she opened new houses, set up an after-school program, and sewing classes, and trained teachers, taught catechism, and more. She spent 25 years in Sicily, serving her community as local and provincial superior, guiding novices, and faithfully living the charism of Mother Maria Mazzarello, co-foundress of the Institute. Blessed Madalena Caterina Moreno would die on the 26th of March, 1908, there in Sicily. She died of cancer. She was beatified by Pope St. John Paul II on November 5th, 1994. Blessed Madalena Caterina Moreno, pray for us. The gospel today comes to, uh, comes to us from John chapter 10, verses 31 through 42. The Jews picked up rocks to stone Jesus. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from my Father. For which of these are you trying to stone me? The Jews answered him, We are not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy. You, a man, are making yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If it calls them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, can you say that the one whom the Father has consecrated and sent into the world blasphemes because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not perform my Father's works, do not believe me. But if I perform them, even if you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may realize and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Then they tried again to arrest him, but he escaped from their power. He went back across the Jordan to the place where John first baptized, and there he remained. Many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but everything John said about this man was true. And many there began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I and the Father are one. That is the verse. That's the very se the sentence that happens right before this Gospel starts. I and the Father are one. I wonder why they left that out of this passage. You'd think they would back this, pa this passage up to verse 30 instead of starting at 31. I and the Father are one is what Jesus said. Then the Jews picked up stones to, uh, 
uh, rocks to, to stone Jesus to death. That was their goal, to kill him. And Jesus begins this exchange with them. Now, it's the emphasis is on the works. Why is that? Well, because only God has absolute authority over creation itself. And the works Jesus performs are not arbitrary. You know, I wonder how many of us have read Scripture and just, you know, oh, this is nice, Jesus raised people from the dead. Oh, this is great, he restores sight. Oh, this is wonderful, he restores hearing, he restores speech, he restores limbs, he does all of these wonderful things. But they have a purpose and a plan, and they speak volumes to these people. And do you see the sign, this line here that uh, Jesus is referencing? Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from the Psalm, Psalm 82, verse 6. And in that Psalm, it is a, is a prayer to God, to Yahweh, asking God to correct the disobedient authority over the people, the, the people with authority, divine authority, mind you, to teach, to, uh, to instruct. He, the psalmist calls them gods, lowercase g. This is, a, uh, this, is a, this is a shot across the bow for Jesus to bring this up to these Pharisees in particular. He is saying, look, look, Psalm 82, 6. They were the rightful authority, but they were corrupt and they needed correction, and the people were crying out for that correction. And if you, the ones with authority, and he's like sort of, you know, metaphorically pointing their finger at them, if you with the authority are, are able to be called gods, then how much more is the one performing these works that the Father has sent me to, to perform? It's a powerful opportunity for us to realize that Jesus is God. He is God. How does that affect your life? How does that change the way you look at your, your own life and the way you interact with him and the way you believe, the what you believe, and how you witness to that belief in the world around you? That is what I take away from this. Adrian, you got anything in the last uh, minute and a half? Yes. The one thing that I wanted to focus on, which is a humongous topic, and I don't know why I'm even bringing it up in 30 <laughs> seconds, is the idea of theosis. Uh, so our Lord here talks about how a man uh, can become God. And this is very confusing, especially for us in Western times um, and the Western culture. Uh, but the Greeks did have an idea of deification or theosis of becoming God, which I just confused everybody and uh, don't have enough time to unpack. <laughs> Well, you tried, but praise be to God. We'll have to follow up on that maybe later in the next hour, which is 9 a.m. Central, 10 Eastern today. All right, praise be to God. Don't get away. We're going to go to break. Come back with the What's Concerning Us. We've got more Catholic Drive Time headed your way. Have you ever dialogued with someone who espouses relativism, which says there is no truth or it might be true for you, but not for me? It's pretty frustrating. Deep down, we know these claims are false, but we often don't know why. Here's the reason. To say there is no truth is a contradiction. The assertion is tantamount to saying it's true that there is no truth, plain absurdity. Now the other position, there is no absolute truth, just truth relative to the individual set of beliefs, is problematic as well. The usage of the verb is implies an assertion about the objective order of things. It's the same thing as saying it's absolutely true that there is no absolute truth, which of course is a contradiction. No matter how the relativist slices the pie, he ends up with a contradiction, making relativism an unreasonable worldview. 
I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Hi, Joe McClain here, host of the Catholic Drive Time, heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of the Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. Real Estate for Life offers their clients a faith-based experience. Real Estate for Life is online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. By the grace of God. Hey, did you know? Were you aware? Are you subscribed to the Catholic Drive Time podcast? It is available ubiquitously. So wherever you listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us. So search, do us a favor, search for the Catholic Drive Time on your favorite podcast app. And if you don't find it, uh, do us a favor and let us know. You can find Adrian's contact information on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. And uh, let us know if you're not seeing it. Uh, but uh, do us a favor, subscribe and review the podcast. That's how you help bump podcasts up higher in the search results. And uh, since Joe's giving out my email, telling everybody to email me, the uh, if you uh, have a great review, five-star review, leave it there. If you have a one-star review, just email me and tell me how much I'm ho- how horrible I am. That would be great. Uh, but still leave a five-star review and then tell me how bad I am. That would yes, be, that'd be that'd ideal. Be, that'd be, be kind ideal. of funny, wouldn't it? If every review was five-star and then they were like railing against us. That'd be awesome. <laughs> it'd be kind of funny. At any rate, uh, we'd be very grateful if you would subscribe and share the Catholic Drive Time podcast wherever you find it. So praise be to God. GRNonline.com forward slash CDT. Uh, we have uh, Charles Fraun going to be joining us in just a little while for our guest segment. He wrote a book called Slaying Dragons, What Exorcists See and What We Should Know. It's about the spiritual combat in your daily life, and I, I'm very excited to have that conversation. So that is coming your way. But there are several stories in the news that we wanted to comment on and bring to your attention. And this is one that really puzzled me. The, UFOs are back in style, apparently. Um, this is an article out. Senator Marco Rubio, this is reported by the Epic Times. Senator Marco Rubio says there's stuff flying over military installations, and nobody knows what it is. I believe it was yesterday I was listening to a commentator on YouTube talk about an article posted over at the Daily, the Daily Mail. Again, a website I do not recommend. It is trash. I, heard, I try never to go there if possible. Uh, it's just the ads are bad. But uh, in that article, this commentator was saying that there was uh, – Naval warships being um, bombarded by these unidentified flying objects just this past July. But here's what Senator Marco Rubio says in this Epic Times article. Uh, Senator Marco Rubio told a reporter this week that he is concerned about UFOs or unidentified flying objects flying over U.S. military bases. When asked about UFOs at the Reagan National Airport near Washington, Rubio said, there's stuff flying over military installations and nobody knows what it is, and it isn't ours. 
Rubio is a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee Committee and was its chairman before Democrats took over this year. It's common sense, right? He asked. It comes as the Pentagon and intelligence agencies are slated to release a report about UFOs in June. The TMZ reporter then asked the Republican senator about whether aliens from outer space or the Chinese Communist Party pose a larger threat to the United States. Quote, there's stuff flying over the top of our military installations and they don't know who's flying it. They don't even know what it is, Rubio told TMZ on March 22nd. Quote, so that's a problem. We need to find out if we can, unquote. Maybe it's another country and that would be bad news for us, too, he says. You know what's fascinating to me is the fact that uh, we have no idea what this stuff is, and we always see these like like these stories leaked out every once in a while about UFOs, and it seems like it's taking an uptick these days, and they have no idea what where this is all coming from. They don't know what what these things are capable of, but the descriptions of the UFOs of uh, the ones over the water with the naval ships. You know, they're like little Tic Tac, they're like giant Tic Tacs, the shape of the Tic Tac. They can move very, very quickly, quicker than anything we seem to have. They can stop on a dime, turn on a dime, and nothing seems to affect them by way of gravity or inertia or or physics. And they have no idea what these things are. Um, I don't know. How do we as Catholics feel about aliens there, Adrian? I know you and I have... I've hotly contested this particular topic, and I don't want me to take too much time with it, but I just find it fascinating that these stories are back in the headlines. Well, I guess from a uh, Catholic perspective, there's not a definitive stance on the idea of extraterrestrials, um, but the idea of UFOs, I mean, obviously there are plenty of unidentified flying objects. Uh, that's just what a UFO is. So we don't know what it is. They're not necessarily extraterrestrials. Um, the idea of life on other planets is a contested question. I know a lot of my um, friends are of the opinion that there cannot be extraterrestrials. I'm of the opinion that there could be. I don't think that aliens exist, to be honest. Personally, I don't think it, they, it does. They do exist, but I think it's logically possible and not not against uh, the theology of the church. I have friends that disagree. There's no definitive stance uh, of the church uh, one way or the other. Though. Could we say that if alien life does exist, that that alien life is definitely the creation of God the Father? Oh, no, of course. Of course, you must say that any if the, if aliens do exist outside of Earth, uh, extraterrestrials, then 100% they must be created by God. That's just, just simple. I mean, and we look at, like, for instance, the angels. Uh, Dave Palmer did a great show on, on angels last Friday. Uh, we did, um, and we talked about it as well. But, yes, yeah, so, like, angels, for instance, are technically... Uh, other species that are not humans and that are rational beings. So yes, then they exist and they would be even higher beings than uh, high tech, futuristic, uh, extraterrestrial sci-fi movie kind of creatures. Um, but the same thing is true of angels. They're uh, ra- rational beings. They don't have bodies. Uh, they're they're uh, much and higher they than us, they but can, they're created from uh, by God. And they move faster than anything, anything we have. They can stop on a dime and they're not controlled by gravity or inertia. Uh, well, they hmm. don't have bodies, so... Hmm. Any, uh, okay, could we also say, uh, one more question on this topic before we move on. Could we also say if, that if these creatures that exist, uh, that if they exist on, uh, from other planets or what have you, they are created by God the Father, do they, are, do they need to be redeemed by God the Son? 
Ooh, see that that would that's a that's a more contested question. C.S. Lewis has a great series on this. It's a trilogy called uh, the Space Trilogy. That's simply what it is. Uh, and he uh, uh, talks about what if there was another planet where they were created. There was aliens on that planet, and they did not have original sin. The the people, the Adam and Eve on that planet, never committed original sin. What would happen? What would it be like? And then what would happen if humans showed up? Uh, so it's a great, great little trilogy that he wrote mm. there on it. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I would say maybe, uh, depends. It would also depend, are they rational? Cause just because yeah. there's life on other planets doesn't even make it, uh, certain that there would be rational. Yeah. It's a fascinating question. I guess we won't know until we get to hang out with, uh, supposed aliens and, uh, and ask these questions and figure this stuff out. Or the eschaton. Or, or the eschaton. But I would argue that when man fell in the Garden of Eden, all of creation fell along with it and is suffering the consequence of that fall. And that would include the entire universe. At least that's my humble little opinion. Uh, all right. Emily, what else is on your radar? Not aliens. What? Uh, <laughs> so when I went to the headlines at all the Catholic news sources, for some reason, everyone is still talking about the Vatican's ban on same-sex unions. And I don't mean like lay people. I mean like bishops yes. in the hierarchy. There seems There's to be a big rift going on. So many. Yeah. And, and one of the sources from the Vatican told Catholic news agency that this is causing a huge division in the Vatican. Yeah. And I think, I need, I think we really need to pay attention to who is saying what because now we know who is aligned with church teaching and who is not. And so there's a bishop who was just straight up. Um, it's in the headlines for the next segment, but he made some really insulting comments about the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith for putting out this ban. Wow. And Father Gerald Murray, who we had on before, maybe we should have him on again. We he should. said, you should resign. <laughs> yes, he Just did. straight up. <laughs> yeah, oh, does this not remind you of Humani Vitae? Pope Paul VI, when he put out Humani Vitae, there were bishops all over the world that revolted against him for putting that, for for daring to say that contraception is... is uh, were you alive during that time? Uh, was I alive at that time? No, I wasn't okay I, can't, I don't even remember when it was do you remember the story should i reword okay. my free phrase yeah i wasn't there that's about 40 years before <laughs> i was born <laughs> i mean surely you've read about this stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're both kids reading in schools these days oh yeah we read we about it but we don't remember it <laughs> but i mean it was like a similar kind of an right, event yeah. where it was like uh, paul the sixth uh, supported Catholic teaching on the matter, and some bishops really were upset with him right. about that. And this is a fascinating story if you look into it, because they did a study into contraception, Pope Paul VI or, organized that committee, right? And the entire committee, well, there was two sides to the committee, and there their final decision was, yes, the church should change their teaching to allow contraception. Ooh. And Pope Paul VI actually surprised everyone by saying, no, we can't change church doctrine. But many priests, and I know people who have been told by priests that contraception is okay, that the church made a mistake, that go ahead and do it, it's fine, the church will get there. And so, yeah, it's it's important to point, like, people put a lot of faith in their priests and, and clergy, but we need to know we're all human, we're all fallen, and sometimes priests are, are going to be mistaken and confused on this as well. And this is what this decision from the CDF is really revealing. Yes, for sure. I know there was also a, a big dust-up over the Pope's uh, audience, uh, I think it was, was it Wednesday, and uh, where he made a statement that Our Lady is not the co-redeemer with Jesus. That I Yikes. know. There was a lot of people that were like, "Oh, I don't know." 
yikes, Holy Father, can we take another stab at this? Because I know for a long time Catholics have been petitioning the Vatican, asking uh, for the Church to uh, to proclaim an official dogma of Our Lady as co-redeemer. And he makes this statement, I'm reading it directly off the, uh, the Vatican's website. It says, uh, Christ is the mediator, Christ is the bridge that we cross to turn to the Father. He is the only redeemer. There are no co-redeemers with Christ. Wow. He says he's the only one. He is the mediator par excellence. Now, it is, I, mean, I think we would all agree, Jesus is the only, I mean, he is the par excellence mediator. That's right. true. But in his kindness and goodness, he allows even me and you to participate in a small way in his uh as as little tiny co-redeemers, how how do we do that? Well, we we intercede for others, we perform uh, penitential acts, we we make reparation for sins committed uh, that others have committed, let alone we have committed. So, in in a small way, you and I have uh, have participated as co-redeemers. But how much more the Mother of God, who who was always free from sin, is free from sin now, even? You know what I mean? It's like, it seems weird. Yes, I think, uh, especially when you look at St. Paul, St. Paul seems to say the most radical thing that you could possibly say about this situation, and it's not us saying it. It's not uh, the Catholic Church saying it. It's not the Pope saying it. It's not Adrian Fonseca saying it. It's St. Paul himself. He says that he makes up what is lacking in Christ's yes. suffering. Like that is mind blowing. Yeah. That is, that yes. is uh, like, if you Colossians said that and it wasn't, and right. it wasn't St. Paul, people would be like, that's heresy. Yeah. But no, no, St. Paul says it. We cannot limit God. If God wants to do this crazy radical thing where he allows us to work with him and yeah. alongside him, then who are we to limit God? Yeah. So I don't know. It's, uh, but the problem I think that we have in the church today as we wrap up this segment, we're running out of time, <laughs> uh, is uh, we think that, uh, but the Pope said this. How can you argue with the Pope? The Pope isn't perfect. The church never teaches the Pope is absolutely uh, perfect and says the perfect thing every time and has a perfect grasp of of all of church teaching and theology. That's just not part of there's the church. There's a reason mind. there's only a tiny amount of popes who've been canonized. Yes, exactly. So let's pray for our Holy Father. Let's pray for him. Let's pray for uh, guidance and God's will to be done in all things. But that's going to wrap it up for the What's Concerning Us section. Coming up after this very short break, we are going to have breaking news and stories with Emily plus Charles Fawn slaying dragons. That's coming your way next. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard people say that Christianity is barbaric? That it arose in ignorance? Well, G.K. Chesterton says that as a matter of historical fact, it didn't. It arose in the most civilized period the world has ever seen. It arose precisely at the intersection of three great civilizations, Athens, Rome, and Jerusalem. It combined the philosophy of the first two with the faith of the third. So what's the real reason the opponents of Christianity do not believe it? It's not because it's barbaric and ignorant. It's not even because it's civilized and sophisticated. It's because, as Chesterton says, opponents of Christianity would believe anything except Christianity. Want more than a minute? Visit us at Chesterton.org. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. 
Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Friday, March 26th, and these are your headlines for today. Jack Phillips, a Christian cake baker, was again in court for declining to make a cake that expresses messages contrary to his religious beliefs after an attorney who identifies as transgender filed suit over the bakery's refusal to make a cake to celebrate a gender transition. The civil trial began on March 22nd, conducted virtually by Denver County Judge Alan Jones, the Associated Press reports. The lawsuit alleges that Phillips violated the state's anti-discrimination law. Phillips' attorney, Sean Gates, said the baker serves customers from all backgrounds and could refuse to make a product whose message he disagreed with. And Phillips has said that in the past, he has not only declined same-sex union cakes, but also has declined other types of cakes that go against his beliefs, including cakes for Halloween, bachelor parties, divorce, cakes with alcohol in the ingredients, and cakes with atheist messages. The Colorado lawyer suing Phillips, Autumn Scardina, who identifies as a transgender woman, said... I wanted him to make me a cake with an image of Satan smoking a joint. After scientists successfully grew mouse embryos in an artificial uterus, ethicists are warning against any future extension of the experiments to human embryos. Scientists working at an Israeli research institution recently sustained mouse embryos in an artificial uterus for 12 days. The experiment's lead researcher suggested that human embryos should eventually be studied in an artificial womb, as late as 40 days post-fertilization. Dr. David Prentice, adjunct professor of molecular genetics at the John Paul II Institute, said, I think the greatest concern is that the research doesn't stop with mice. And Dr. Jacob Hanna, who led the research team for the embryo experiments, said he is pushing for research labs to study human embryos, growing them in an artificial womb for 40 days before disposing of them. The Catholic Church opposes experimentation on human embryos except for direct therapeutic non-harmful treatments for the embryos themselves. The Diocese of Derry has announced that First Communions, customarily held in spring, will be postponed so as to discourage associated parties and other social gatherings. The Derry Diocese, whose see is in Northern Ireland but which extends into the Republic of Ireland, has announced that the sacrament will be delayed until September. Bishop Donald McKeown of Derry said that while parties have no strict correlation to the sacrament, First Communion is often followed by celebratory gatherings, saying, quote, The church should go the extra step to assist in protecting people's health, public health, by avoiding those situations, which might with some regularity lead people to organize parties. And the well-known canon lawyer, Father Gerald Murray, has called on Bishop Johann Bonny to resign after the bishop from Belgium said he was ashamed of the church for the Vatican's reiteration of the ban on blessings for same-sex couples. In the wake of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith's ban on blessings for gay unions, Bishop Bonny mocked the statement calling the CDF illogical and intellectually juvenile. In light of Bishop Bonny's recent comments, Father Murray said, for the good of his soul and of the souls of his flock, I pray that he recants. If he refuses and also refuses to resign, he should be removed by Pope Francis as a stumbling block, a true scandal to the faithful. 
I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Friday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Thank you, Emily, for keeping us up to date. Uh, Don't forget, you can find details about our new podcast feed, as well as uh, playlists, as well as uh, information about our show, our sponsors, including realestateforlife.org. It is a great service that is generously underwriting a portion of Catholic Drive Time, connecting buyers and sellers of houses, providing a faith-based experience, and supporting a pro-life organization. Their website is realestateforlife.org. Joining us right now uh, via Zoom chat is Charles Fraun. He wrote a book called Slaying Dragons, What Exorcists See and What We Should Know. It's a practical guide and theological guide to navigating the spiritual battle in which we all find ourselves. Good morning to you, Charles. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, praise be to God. Thanks for being on with us. You know, just yesterday, I was uh, scrolling uh, a social media site, and there was an ad that came up for a brand new movie coming out. And it's yet another uh, demonic, ex, you know, exorcist type of film. And wouldn't you know it, uh, the Catholic Church is also involved. I wondered why, you know, college Jewess, how come they never make these movies with, like, Mormons or, or Jehovah's Witness or, or Muslims or anything like that, or even evangelicals? It's almost always Catholic priests that are depicted in the film. And uh, it made me think of the day and the time that we live in and how most of us get our information about the diabolical, about angels, about spiritual combat from Hollywood versus from the patrimony of our faith and even uh, great resources maybe such as yourself, uh, Slaying Dragons. So let's start with that. Tell us what your book is and tell us maybe uh, what your book isn't in regards to the lay folk. Sure. It's um, essentially a survey, a collection, or a compendium of the teachings of some of the uh, most prominent exorcists today, contemporary exorcists, but also um, pulling from doctors of the church, great saints, St. Thomas Aquinas, the history of the church, um, papal comments. So it's what it's not is a sensational work trying to instill fear. It's, it's not going to be on par with a Hollywood film about uh, demonic activity. There are certain you know, anecdotal stories that I share from the exorcists um, that might be a little, you know, it kind of little spooky or throw you off a little bit, but they're presented in the context of here's why you need to know this story. It's it's not like sensational. Um, the so many people like to be scared today. I don't really like to be scared, but I like I like to have the truth. So it, the intention of the book is to present the truth, and uh, it's a like you mentioned, it's a practical guide because exorcists have so much to tell us because they see behind the veil. That's how I always like to put it. They see behind the veil through the rite of exorcism. It's a special sacramental ritual that the church has. Um, given to certain priests who have permission. You know, they have to have certain virtues, be approved by their bishop to do this, because interacting with the diabolical is not something you really want to take lightly. Most people shouldn't want to do it at all, uh, because demons are real. And one of the purposes of the book is to show the world, show Catholics and Protestants and everybody what the demons are actually doing, how they do what they do, and how we can stop them. So that's that's one of the big things there, how we can stop them. And there's so much, there's so much we can do to stop them that we really need to have no fear. And that's one of the big things that I learned. I learned so much doing the research. That's why I ended up writing a book because it changed my life. It's just, we, we need to have no fear. And before I wrote the book, I could not say I had no fear of demons. You know, I was relatively ignorant, just like most of us are. 
Charles Braun is our guest. Slaying Dragons is his book. We're going to link to it, by the way, so you can check it out for yourself. Uh, now, Charles, I, I had the great honor of sitting with um, Adam Bly uh, several years ago in a private conversation and really picking his brain about this, this subject. And then I sat and listened to his lectures because we were at an event together. And I sat and listened to his lectures. And for me, this was a moment that really opened my eyes, similar to what you're suggesting here, moving from fear to uh, information that is actually very helpful. And one of the things he said to me was how in the angelic world, things are very legalistic. And that, mm -hmm. you know, like just the demons themselves. He said they were like dogs on a leash. They don't just get to do, go and possess people at will. Uh, they, there are certain rules they have to abide by. And even the, in exorcisms, these, this legal code is sort of followed to a T. Maybe you can explain that for our listeners. Right. That was one of the, there are probably about four things that, that really hit me when I was doing the research that changed my whole perspective on the spiritual life, especially involving the diabolical. And one of them was this emphasis by all of the exorcists. And I studied um, um, several lectures of Adam Bly. I got to hear him live um, during the course of doing the research, which was very providential. And then um, one of his books, which I reference in, in Slaying Dragons. And it's repeated. I, I kept hearing it over and over and over again. When I first heard the idea that exorcists, that demons are legalistic, I thought, well, that's, that's kind of strange. Why would they follow any laws? Why would they follow any rules? But they have to because they are creatures. And that was one of the things, like they are completely under God's control. Even though they're rebelling, they can't do a full-blown mutiny because they, they're still creatures. They're still bound by the laws of the creator, and therefore they have to follow them even if they don't want to. And so exorcists see this, that um, there are certain steps along the way in an exorcism to gain authority over uh, the demon, gain possession, gain control over the whole situation. And then the demon has to obey, has to do things, has to reveal things, and he has to follow through on what the exorcist tells him is the truth. And when the name of Jesus is, is used, is invoked against the demon, the demon has to comply. And Adam Bly, those, I can't remember where it was, he's told so many stories, it's great, I would love to sit down with him as well, but he told a story, um, I think it was a bishop or a priest, came into an exorcism, a possession situation, did not have the authority yet from his bishop to do anything, and the demon wouldn't respond, you know, wouldn't wouldn't follow the rules. So the, the priest left, called his bishop in the hallway, got, got authority, walked back into the room, and then the whole situation changed because <laughs> the demon just knew what was up. Like, they don't have to get text messages. They, they have, you know, knowledge of what's going on, and um, I'm pretty sure it was a successful exorcism at that point. You know, one of the other things Adam would say is curiosity killed the cat. I think Father Ripperger says that a lot, too. Maybe not in those exact words, but I think one of the problems we have as lay folk is we believe we're entitled to know everything. Mm. You know, we're entitled to to have information, the insider information. And when it comes to the devil and the diabolic, we tend to, uh, we're, our, our curiosity is piqued, especially by these Hollywood films, and we begin to experiment in some ways with the occult. Well, that music means we're going to go to break. So I didn't even have mm -hmm. to cut you off, Charles. You're very fortunate. <laughs> nice. I cut most people off. But don't hold the thought. We're going to come right back after this very short break. Continue our conversation with Charles Fraun. Slaying Dragons is his book. We're going to have this conversation on the other side. And uh, more Catholic Drive Time is headed your way. So don't go anywhere. Be right back. There is one thing in our lives over which we have complete control. 
forgiveness. One Minute Monk, Abbot Placid Solari of Belmont Abbey. Jesus gave us the power to forgive when he poured out the Holy Spirit on us on the day of his resurrection. But we must decide to forgive, acknowledging the wrong done, and seek to set it right. Life according to the rule of St. Benedict can remind us that forgiveness does not mean being friends with the one I forgive. To forgive demands simply that I unbind that person from any claims of vengeance and that I ask God to do the same. In that way, two people are set free, the one who forgives and the one who is forgiven. For your free copy of The Rule of St. Benedict, visit OneMinuteMonk.com, O-N-E-MinuteMonk.com. We have all been hurt or wronged by someone. Are we ready to make the decision to forgive that person, or at least to ask God to make us ready one day? Hi, I'm Emily Alcaraz, and I'm the co-host of the Catholic Drive Time Show, which airs from Monday to Friday at 6 a.m. Central Time. I'm excited to announce our partnership with our new underwriter, Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life offers a faith-based experience while supporting the gospel of life. They work with over a 1,000 pro-life agents worldwide and generously support a variety of pro-life organizations. Their website is realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. Christ, welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. We're talking with Charles Fraun. Slaying Dragons is his book. And uh, how exorcists know what they know. And it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to talk about something that I think some of most of us may be too afraid to, to really discuss openly. And, you know, wouldn't it be, isn't it cool? It's fortuitous that today is the first day we get to display this beautiful handcrafted image of St. Michael uh, lancing the devil behind Adrian, our producer today, uh, courtesy of friend of the show, Jesus Robles. Uh, so it's kind of a, a fortuitous moment to be conversating about this with this beautiful statue in the background. But Charles, welcome back to the show. Just before the break, I was starting to launch into Curiosity Killed the Cat. And uh, I know, Emily, you were on retreat recently, and this is kind of a, a topic that comes a lot up a lot among the youth about, well, how can I be possessed? How easy is it to be possessed or harassed? Or And then, of course, we see people playing with things like horoscopes and crystals and palm reading and Ouija boards and the rest. Uh, did Did that come up for you? Right, absolutely. So I work with a youth ministry, and I see this on the increase a lot right now, especially with young girls. They're they're going into astrology, horoscopes. It leads to crystals, manifestation, stuff like that. Um, and so for them, it, they don't see it. They're asking, why does God allow the devil to exist and possess certain people is a question that I got, because they're playing with this stuff, and they're like, oh, I'm fine. Nothing is happening to me. So who? why does God allow certain people to fall into pos- possession? Yeah, it's, uh, well, as the exorcists say, I think it was Father Ripperker primarily, that 99% of, so mortal sin, any mortal sin opens us up to diabolical activity as a law, the legalism that we talked about earlier. But in 99.9% of the cases, God blocks the demon, and that's because he's merciful. And the reason, so why certain people get caught could be, you know, the degree of mortal sin, the openness in their will. Um, what they're really seeking, because eventually God will give us what we're what we're looking for, even if it's evil. But also, everything the church, everything God allows, is essentially medicinal. Suffering is medicinal. Excommunications are medicinal. So you could even say an exorcist would would talk about this. 
someone getting possessed is actually medicinal for their soul. It's a punishment because they've strayed so far, so malevolently, so willfully uh, against God's will that God's going to draw them back by allowing diabolical activity to enter their lives. And I've heard numerous people who've had diabolical manifestations in their life, and as a result, it pushed them back towards a deep practice of the faith. And that's one of the things that, that Satan, I mean, he's, he's really smart, but he's actually, you know, quite stupid. He doesn't get it that, that when we see him, when he plays his hand, when he shows up, when he scares us and not in a Hollywood film, but actually in real life, he's going to drive us back into the arms of Christ. And that's why God allows the demons out there. It's, it's like it's the last effort, last ditch effort of God to bring us back. He's trying to draw us through beauty, through love, through truth, through all the good things flowing through creation and through the church. But if we don't want to listen to that, he'll allow these really, really evil creatures to start to pursue us because we have strayed so far. And that's actually a warning, you know, of, of what hell's like. You know, he, he doesn't want us to go to hell, but hell will be the company of demons. So a little foretaste here by a diabolical manifestation is a great act of mercy. Um, but so that's the kind of the logic as to why most people are protected. Like I dabbled in the, the occult, you know, a little bit in middle school, early high school, nothing deep, thankfully, because it wasn't in vogue as much when I was in high school in the mid nineties and Harry Potter wasn't around. If any of that stuff had been like more prominent, I would have been toast spiritually speaking, because mm. I was just so curious, um, about these things in a very negative way. I was also depressed. I struggled with that a lot. Um, but God did not allow anything to manifest in my life. I do think I got what I call, you know, certain degree of diabolical obsession with the depression, anxiety, and all that stuff that I had to work out later. But that's totally different than than possession. So God was very, very merciful to me as a kid. Yeah, praise God for that. And I have another question. What about like secondhand possession? Because I know like sometimes people who have like discernment of spirits, they'll go into certain neighborhoods or homes and they'll like sense uh, some evil presence there. Can people, for example, if one family member brings in possession into a home or demons into a home, can that affect the other people in the family as well? It can definitely affect them uh, when it comes to transferring. Like um, an exorcist would say, possession is not contagious. So if you're around somebody who's possessed, it's not going to just the demon's not going to jump onto you unless you open a door. So if if the whole household is in mortal sin and one kid goes out and plays with a Ouija board and gets possessed and brings the demon home, um, the demon has like free reign in the house because no one's protected. So the, the possession might not transfer. More demons might not come into the home to possess the rest of the people. But um, other manifestations like diabolical obsession, harassing the mind, um, infesting the home, all those things could could more easily happen because they're they're in the mind of the person or external to the to the person to the rest of the people in the family. So yeah, if uh, plus the the person who's possessed is is going to be acting irrational, you know, violent perhaps, uh, just cruel. Like those manifestations from the demon are going to influence the the home environment. So anybody who's if you have one person in the family who's dabbling in the occult, even if they're not possessed, that's going to have very negative impacts on the family. And I've I've heard cases of that, unfortunately. Charles, um, you uh, mentioned about the about the demonic oppression in regards to mental illness, uh, such as depression and the like. How much of this uh, of the modern phenomenon of like 
suicide rates skyrocketing among children. Um, the depression is rampant among young people. The, uh, it feels like the mental illness is just off the charts today. We see that our transgenderism is on the rise, uh, this kind of diabolical confusion. How much of this is, can be attributed to the diabolic and how much of it is a natural disorder? Yeah, so there's there's a fine line. A good distinction needs to be made between possession and depression. I was depressed. I was, you know, clinically depressed, and I don't think it was anything that I was possessed or anything when I was. This is 20 years ago, but so what made me depressed? What helped me get out of my depression was understanding that I needed to figure out why. What was the philosophy I was believing? The truth about myself and the world that was causing me to be to be depressed. And when I figured it out everything moved forward. A lot of it had to do with returning to the faith. So one thing demons do is lie to us. They lie to the world. They instigate us to embrace sin, to embrace lies, to form our world and our our perspective about ourselves and what the future holds around lies. So even if the demons aren't oppressing, obsessing, infesting, or possessing us, they can still be the cause of depression externally, just like uh, a trauma could be a cause of depression or the death of a loved one or an eating disorder or some illness that comes up and leads you to being depressed. So if you look at the the intensity, the, the intense gravity, morally speaking, of some of the things that are oppressing the youth that you just listed, like a lot of those are clearly diabolical philosophies. These are so counter-natural, so perverted, uh, and you didn't even list all of them, that those have to be instigated by by diabolical, because demons are intellects, so they transmit ideas to us and uh, lies to us, and they interact with our intellects and try to get us to believe what they believe. So people have been formed, you could say, like Hollywood, um, you know, evil politicians, we have tons of those, have been formed by diabolical influences, so their minds are warped, even though they are their own independent intellects, and they're sharing all their lies with the world. So people are being, uh, so in, in a lot of to a great extent, demons don't have to do much work anymore. They've they've rotted the culture so well that we're all just you know dying. Wow, and which is so sad to say. Yeah, have, that's crazy. We have about three minutes left in our conversation. Charles Fraun, Slaying Dragons is his book. We've linked to it over on our Facebook side. Um, we you should check that out. But uh, let me ask you a question. I'm a dad, you know, husband and father. How important it is is it for me for all dads for all husbands? to leverage the sacramentals and to have because i have authority over my wife my children and my property uh to do what adam refused to do and cast out these these vile creatures from our house uh what would you say to that charles yeah i have uh, three kids um three young kids so i'm very very wary of the culture and the influences i wrote an article a little over a year ago called the role of the father according to exorcists and that was one of the other big things that jumped out when I did my research is the, the importance of the father, because he's, he's the shepherd. He's the gatekeeper. He can shut out easily. He can shut out evil influences, and he can easily let them in. So if the father's in a state of mortal sin and not really applying the sacramentals like, you know, holy water, blessed candles, blessed oils, um, rosary scapulars, blessed images, uh, sacred heart, all those things. If he's not doing that, he's leaving his home vulnerable because we have to remember that our homes or the domestic churches are living in a very toxic culture. And it's not that, you know, oh, we can, you know, just pray a couple times. We'll go to mass a couple times, maybe every Sunday. That's not enough. Like it's to resist the diabolical surge 
that's going through our culture. We have to man up, you know, when it comes to fathers, we have to do everything. So as a result of doing all this research, I've, my home is like super fortified sacramentally, but not, not superstitiously. Like we, we use it. We see it as a gift from God. Um, the kids are in on it. The kids love it. We have holy water every night before we're going to bed, you know, holy water bottle, in all the rooms, sacred images everywhere. But it's in a context of God is real. God loves us. This is who Jesus is. So it has to be a living faith with all these sacramentals. But it is absolutely crucial that fathers take up all these weapons, all these gifts from the church and wield them. We have one minute left, and you were going to ask about Emily Rose? Yeah, I, we don't have much time left mm-hmm. to talk about this, but a lot of people don't know that this movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, is actually based on a true story of a girl named Annalise Michelle. And what a lot of people like turn exorcism into something really scary, really terrifying, but I just wanted to talk about the fact that it's actually an opportunity for God to manifest his power over the occult. So are you familiar with that story, Charles? you got about 60 seconds. Sure. Um, I am. I haven't done that much research on the true story. I watched the movie about, you know, 15 years ago when it came out and it kind of, it's not as horror emphasized, not as fear emphasized. It does have that component, but it is a true story, like you said. And the idea in the story is that God allowed this to happen so the world would find out that all of this stuff is real. Amen. That we need to tread carefully and, and be very careful as we navigate towards heaven. All right. Praise be to God. Charles Fraun, author of Slaying Dragons. The website is theslayingdragonsbook.com. We've linked to it as well. Charles, God bless you. Thank you for being on our program today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. God bless you. All right. God love you. Have a great day. That's going to do it for this week of uh, On Air for uh, Catholic Drive Time for our first hour. Our second hour today is delayed to 9 a.m. Central, 10 Eastern. If you're able to join us for that, we would love to have you. You can always stream us live on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube as well. Check out our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT for all the links. Otherwise, we'll see you back here Monday morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern for another week of Catholic Drive Time. God love you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. A friend of mine has been reading the Left Behind books. Is there really going to be a rapture like these books talk about? No. The rapture refers to a passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 where Christians are caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Many Christians believe, and the Left Behind books promote, that this being caught up to meet the Lord will occur before the Great Tribulation. Christians will simply vanish, meet Jesus somewhere in the air, and then return with Him to heaven to await the end of time. But notice, in verse 15, Paul says that we who are alive who are left shall be caught up. Those who are left get caught up to meet the Lord. The Left Behind books get their name from a passage in Luke 17 and one in Matthew 24, which compares the coming of the Lord to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Matthew 24 puts it this way, As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, and they did not know until the flood came and swept them all the way. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one is taken and one is left. Two women grinding at the mill, one is taken, one is left. One is taken, one is left. The rapture, right? Jesus takes the Christians, leaves behind non-Christians. 
two problems with that interpretation. First, Jesus' coming is compared to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Well, after the flood, who was left? Noah and his family. The good guys, the bad guys were taken. After Sodom and Gomorrah went up in smoke, who was left? Lot and his daughters, the good guys, the bad guys were taken. Second problem, 1 Thessalonians 4 says that those who are left get to meet Jesus in the air. The good guys are left behind to meet Jesus. In other words, you want to be left behind so that you can get caught up in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air and accompany him back to earth at his second and final coming. There will be no rapture like the one the left behind books talk about. That view is not scriptural. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. I'll bet you know by now that Amazon Smile is a great way to support your favorite charity. And supporting the Guadalupe Radio Network while you shop is easy. Step one, just start off at smile.amazon.com. Step two, choose La Promesa Foundation as your charity. La Promesa Foundation is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio Network. And step three, enjoy your shopping. Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase to the La Promesa Foundation, and it doesn't cost you any extra. La Promesa Foundation and Guadalupe Radio Network, thank you. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend.
one thing I have realized, that if God don't do it, it just won't get done. It's going to take a miracle from God. If God don't do it, it won't get done. If God don't do it, it won't get done. If God don't do it, it won't get done. It's going to take a miracle from One thing I have written. Jesus is a friend of mine. 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 Jesus
Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend of Jesus.